0: hey everybody welcome to heterodox americana this is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us the question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts.
1: And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. We're here on Sunday, August 2nd, 2020. Um, We are how many months into this pandemic? Uh... March? How many months is
0: that? It was like March, the middle of March for, for Philly.
1: So we're like six months in? Five to six months in? Um, and I think it's a, you know, I've mentioned this a few times on this podcast when we've talked about where we are and what's happening that oftentimes I think we say it's a critical time. I personally think this is a critical time, and maybe it's because living out a pandemic life um, most of the months feel like a critical time. That could be it. But August 2nd, 2020, after we've had an entire summer of um, spikes and some states going completely hot, and school debates about uh, just abound whether or not kids should go back and whether that's sending your kid to kindergarten um, when they're five and what's like what it's like to miss the first day of school, their first day of school ever, or what it's like to send, you know, an eighth to ninth grader to their very first day of high school and what's that's what that's like and everything in between. You have your college kids too that are missing out on some of their crucial time um, of life on campus. Um, so we're, we're entering this, this phase in the fall, starting to walk towards fall. And I think for us today, what I think we were envisioning is to say, what now, where are we now? How are we feeling? What's the pulse? Um, and what can we do? Um, what can we do to maintain our mental health, our physical health, our sanity, our kindness and love with each other, our partnerships, our parenting—what do we do to maintain that? Um, those are huge questions. Um, but yeah, let's try to talk about that and see where we go.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned physical health and and just what it looks like at this stage I mean, we, we talked a little bit about how to manage a, uh, a pandemic or just you know how to manage being in quarantine at the at the very beginning of this thing I think we did somewhat of, of an episode on that um, but it's certainly different after all these months I, I think for a lot of people and um, it's not just managing for the two weeks that we thought or the month that we thought um, <laughs> all that's Fallen by the wayside now. Uh, now it's who, who knows how long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that's a different frame of mind, I think, um, for a lot of people who, you know, you sort of have to adjust when you think there is a light at the end of the tunnel versus who, who knows where the end of the tunnel is. I think that's different.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think there's a difference between people who have now... Uh, decided to go ahead and live their lives without restriction although there's still lots of restriction in place even in these states that lifted restriction there's a difference between those people and the people that are still really trying to maintain some of this very you know basic social isolation or six feet apart or mask wearing or not having people in your home and I can feel this tension between these groups and I feel things welling up or I hear things welling up in, in families, you know, people that I talk to whose family members have a very different way of living through this than maybe the, the family member that they're talking to. It's creating a ton of tension. Um, and I think it makes sense because we're at the place now where I think we all thought things would be so different. Right. And um, what do we do when they're not different? And how do we contend with the reality of of what's still happening and still maintain these relationships and try to figure out um, something new? And I think that's primarily what I'm interested in is what's new. Um,
0: What do you mean by that? What's new?
1: I often hear from people that I talk to of what it's going to be like or how they can get back to normal, how they can get back oh, to right. what's old, right? Um, feeling very uh, clear about what they want to start doing that they remember from their old life, whether that's going out to dinner or going or traveling to see family members or going to a party or a pool party or a barbecue um, and what it's like to get back to these things that they've they've had to give up. Um, And I think the way that I'm trying to frame this and considering this is um, not necessarily, I mean, we certainly are giving up a lot um, in terms of how this virus is playing out and what's safe and what's not safe. But I think the reframe for me in these past few weeks has been not how do I get back to what's old, but how do I do something new? And if I frame it as in something new, Instead of what I've lost or what I can't do, Um, what's new makes me think of things that are very different. It's almost like constructing a new reality. Sure, I
0: mean I think that's what it is. It's uh, it's hard enough, you know, if I try to situate the the human brain slash mind into both of those scenarios, uh, the the brain as as an organ that needs to make sense out of the, um, you know, the information um, that's around it, the stimulus that's around it, and really our, our need for uh, predictability. That seems to me like, um, you know, just from like a, a biological sense, it seems like it makes sense that people would cling to, uh, you know, the, the sense of relief that comes with just knowing how things are going to work as opposed to not knowing how things are going to work, not knowing how they're going to play out at the hospital, at the supermarket, at school, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I want to separate brain from mind here, I think, uh, just because the, you know, there's a Buddhist interpretation of the same thing, uh, where I think in Buddhist language they talk about clinging, clinging to the world that you know, or really clinging to the way you want things to be. Right. Uh, and I think these things are related. It's not just that that old model Uh, The pre-quarantine model is the model that we know how to predict, we know how all the parts function, but it's also that we want that Um, and it's that wanting um, it's that wanting uh, of the old paradigm, so to speak that I think the Buddhists would call clinging, and I think in, in both senses, something new happens to your, you know, to kind of go back to your new thing, I think in both senses, whether it's letting go of the desire for the old paradigm or just accepting the fact that we're not going to be able to predict uh, what's coming, I think that allows us uh, an ability to maneuver in a way and, and really be prepared for whatever is coming uh, because our, let's say, our, I'll use an, another metaphor, like our hands aren't full with the old uh, and so you can catch the balls that are coming uh, because they're not, you know what I mean, like your hands are empty now. And, and so I think not clinging... And, um, yeah, I think that's going to be the, one of the, the better ways to move forward.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I had a, a breaking point a little bit in the past week and a half or so that I am understanding in terms of this pandem- pandemic. Um, the way I, fr- I framed it or phrased it was that it's begging for something new. It's begging us to break out. Um, that might sound a little bit, you know, I guess it's not, maybe it's anthropomorphism if, it, if the virus is something, you That's know. begging. yeah, that's begging, but, um, that's kind of how I'm, I'm noting things right now. It's, uh, this is pushing us into something that we have an opportunity and I'm not trying to make light of what we lose and what we've lost and how this feels but we do have an opportunity to start to consider the newness of everything around us. Um, You know, even with schools in the fall, and I can feel all the loss of my eighth to ninth grader not getting to go to this very carefully selected school that she chose and and got good grades to get into, um, and feeling her isolation and noting that that that's a loss and there's gonna be something that I work with with her from here on out around that. But there is something, I I was reminding myself just this morning, there's something new in this too. What is the newness of this? How do I regroup around what it means to carry this as if here's a new um, adventure, a prospect, or way of living that I've never considered before And what does that look like? And what does it look like for her? What does it look like for all of those around me? Um, I could feel kind of this tension blowing up in relationships. I talk to so many people. I'm a therapist. I talk to so many people a week and I can just feel everything bubbling. Um, Fights that are having, you know, that people are having and tensions that are so high and people that are becoming depressed or withdrawn or isolated or acting out and I'm feeling the sense that now we've done this long enough and we are tired and exhausted that we now have to really consider what it is that we move into that saves us. Right.
0: That's and, something different. And what does it sound like, you know, just from what you've heard? What is, how's it, How have people been coping? What are their strategies that have been helping them to sort of break into something new?
1: Well, I think the first thing that I would say is that. The strategies are just now getting started. Mm. Um, People really have just been trying to mitigate chaos. Um, And we can do that for a while. Um, We can figure out for a while what this looks like. Wait till the restaurants open or wait till we can go out to dinner or we'll get curbside cocktails or, you know, we'll make sure we have a socially distanced... You know, backyard barbecue. And there's all of these things that I think have been kind of being put in place to try to mitigate. But it's not been the acceptance of this is my life. Right. This is my holding pattern until I get back to where I want. And I think just now, it's starting to, mm. we're starting to understand this isn't the holding pattern. Right. This is actually our lives. This is what we're doing. We're having this is what, looks, what it looks like to get cocktails. This is what it looks like to meet with your family members. This is what it looks like to have functions or friends or partnerships. This is how it's playing out. So I think, and that's why I think I was interested in doing a show like this, because I think we're at the crux of now of where we go towards acceptance, probably in a way that we've not really had to do yet. We've been waiting through the summer to say, it's gonna end.
0: So I I like the way you you put that we've been we've been wading through, Um, you know, I I think for so many people, their ability just occurred to me, uh, I think for so many people, their ability to move forward is contingent on their ability to imagine what's there. Mm -hmm. And if you've never taken the time out to imagine what's there, then essentially your ability, your ability to imagine what comes next is predicated on what just came. Uh, so if you don't have a vision of what it here's what I mean specifically. So, you know, I had a big shift in my life. Uh, I don't know, maybe in 20, certainly starting in 2013, but I think 2014 or 2015 was, um, was when I, I had a vision of, of how things could be and how they should be for my own life. Right. And a little bit for the world as well. Uh, but it, it, it forced me to be constantly imagining, right? or to use Walt Disney's word, imagineering. Uh, it it, con- it forced me to constantly be in this, this realm of imagining what could be what I should be doing and really hewing that out. And it was very different than what my life was like in 2012 and before, like everything that came before that. It's not just that I didn't have a plan. It's like I, I didn't have a vision. Um, and, and now that I do... All of the, of the chaos and the turmoil that comes my way, really, the, the only thing I have to adjust is I have to adjust my vision for how to make it optimal in this new environment. But I have a very strong sense of where I'm going. And so it's like, what can I use? Like the tools have changed, but the vision hasn't changed. Uh, I think for my vision to, to ultimately change, the United States would need to be destroyed or the world would need to be destroyed. Um, something like that. But barring that, um, but at any rate, it it makes me think of what it means to be navigating life with no clear vision of what things should be and how your life should be, Um, but really kind of based on the feeling of how you want it to be. And, and that's very different because it means that you're using your past as a frame of reference as opposed to your idea of the future as a frame of reference. And that, that that is going to play out very differently for people.
1: Yeah, I appreciate what you said. You're using your past as the frame of reference for your present, which, of course, that makes sense in our, right. in our mind's eye, right? We base our life on our experiences. What is very, you know... What's, what is a discipline and intentional is to say, I don't have to define myself by my past. Right. We do this very personally, you know, at times in therapy, like the stories that you're telling, we've talked about this so often on our podcast, the stories that you're telling yourself that is, are still defining you are these past stories. Um, you've clung to something that says, here's the script, and I only know this. Um, which, you know, is so interesting because we have at the very tips of our fingers the capacity to create an entirely new script. Sure. It it sounds almost far-fetched or supernatural or, you know, woo-woo, but it's not. It is is really a, a wonderful opportunity that we have as humans to say, I don't have to abide by a story that I've clung to and, in fact, I can start to create a new story. Um, This is what's really, I think, important in this present time, this pandemic. What is our new story? And what are we going to tell ourselves? And what are we going to tell each other? And what are we going to tell our partners? And what are we going to tell our children? Um, And not to be clinging so desperately to the past. Here's a really amazing opportunity to let go of something that perhaps could have even been keeping us um in a place that we had never considered to break out of
0: right no absolutely i'm
1: seeing these like uh advertisements i i think i showed you one where it says you can like live and work in barbados remotely you know because there's all these remote learning or remote teaching or or from working from your home now and I'm, you know, not moving to Barbados, but I just thought, what an interesting idea. It's now we're getting pushed into these things that we never would have ever considered. I I saw another article, I think it was in the Washington Post, that says people are now starting to question why they live where they live for the first time. They've never really, you know, some have never really considered that. Hmm. They've gotten a job and they stay there and they're raising their family and they're not saying, why am I here? They're just saying, "What do I do today? And what do I do tomorrow? And how do I contribute to my, you know, 401k? And what is when is my next promotion or whatever?" There's really? some that live their life like that, it's
0: following the script.
1: Right, following the script, and I think this pandemic has now, because people are starting to run their businesses from their homes for the first time, they're able to say to themselves, "Is it here? Do I want to live in Philadelphia? Is this where I want to be?" Right. Um, of course we can't move to Europe because they won't let us in but you know there are moments now that we can start to consider for the first time we don't have to move but even just to ask your squ- yourself that question why am I here what am I doing here what am I doing in this city
0: so much starts with uh, so much starts with that I, I think asking yourself those types of questions and, and from my vantage point so you know I was talking about my turnaround my turnaround really came with a, a Question to myself, um, you know, I, I, the first question that I asked myself was, like, what would I What would be my d- dream? Not even job. What would be my like my dream? Just thing to do. Uh, I love to talk. I'm chatty in my own way. If you get me started, right? Uh, so I'm not chatty at a party, but you get me started about I don't know, like politics or you know, positive psychology or something that you know is Totally in my wheelhouse, and I am a chatty Cathy, completely chatty chat, I don't know, um, and and I love to talk in that way. And you know, I remember having a thought. I, I remember exactly where I was when I had this thought. I was standing outside of um, Philadelphia's uh, City Hall, um, the the you know the center. Well, everyone knows where the City Hall is, right? I'm, I'm outside of Philadelphia's City Hall, and you know, I'm still working my job at the DA's office. And I remember asking myself, like, what would I love to do? And I remember thinking, I would just love... If people would just pay me to talk. Like, if I could just talk and be paid for that, that'd be amazing.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Which was... uh, It was a ridiculous notion because nobody's going to pay me just to talk. Um, And then I had a second thought that said, well, what if it's not a ridiculous notion? And are there any people in the world who get paid just to talk? And... It occurred to me that there are people who get paid just to talk, like you know, Howard Stern, for for example. I don't want to do his job, mm-hmm. but it said that there are actually people in the in the world who all they do is talk and they get paid for that. And I was like, well, that that's a that's an amazing idea. And almost immediately, I had another thought that said, but it couldn't be you. Right? Mm-hmm. No one's gonna pay you to talk. And I had to look at why that was, why is that and why not me, I mean if they could pay Howard Stern, why not me Uh, but then I had all this fear like probably the deepest fear um, that I'd ever considered uh, that started to just emerge out of nowhere and I couldn't even put my finger on why all of a sudden it felt so scary but it felt scary because now I was looking at the thing that would probably be the most defining thing for me In that moment, I was like on my lunch break,
1: Hmm.
0: and you know the 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 immediate thought for me to do was just to dismiss this idea, just to put it out of of my mind because it's silly and no one's going to pay me to talk. I already already knew that. But then I had another question, and this was the one that shook me to the to the very core. It says, if I don't attempt to pursue this thing which resonated so deeply at the core, if I don't choose to pursue it, what will it mean for the rest of my life to live in that type of regret, the fact that I I was too afraid to even acknowledge it? And it was that fear uh, of looking into the face of, let's say, my deepest dream, to be, you know, paid just talk, um, and and really having to overcome that and say, you know what, I'm, I don't know what, I'm not a great speaker, I don't know what it means to, I don't know anything about it, Um, and can I pursue something that I don't understand, Um, but what happens in my life if I don't, and so I made a decision, and from that day, I was like changed, like I was changed at work, and it was like, it was disrupt, the idea was disruptive in my life, uh, and it disrupted everything, but it also fundamentally oriented me in in a way that... um, that I had accepted that fear, and it was no longer going to dog me in the same way. Uh, and in some ways, it felt freeing, but not, like not really. It was, it was like it's constantly dogged me. Um, but uh, you know, I say all this to say that I, I think for so many people, there is a core fear that sits at the um, it, it sits it stands in front of our ability to confront uh, the thing that we want the most. Because if if we if we pursue the thing that we want the most, and then we fail at it. Then then I think that means we are utter failures. Or people might, you know, interpret it that way. And so it's easier to play it safe to not go after the thing that you really, really, really want. Because if you fail at something less than the thing that you really want, then it's okay. Then you can tell yourself that, I didn't really want that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you pursue the thing that you want the most in the world and that doesn't work out, then you gotta figure <laughs> you gotta figure out a whole new identity, I guess. I don't know. It's
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I think fear in that way um, can be profound. Um, And to examine that, like what's holding you back, which is that fear to go after that thing that if you just get to connect to it in dream world, then you never lose the connection. But if you try to connect to it in reality and it feels as if you can't reach it, then you've lost the connection to the dream and it feels like even a greater loss. Um, but that's, that's what we have to face often. And I think even, you know, coming back to where we are now and what we do to consider breaking out of those things that I think have always felt safe in some ways in this pandemic, um, it's giving us an opportunity to examine those things in ways we never would have. Cause I don't think people feel quite as safe anymore. Right. Um, we're in a place that we feel a little bit unsafe, and you know, look at you. I mean, I don't know if you're getting paid for this podcast, but you are talking <laughs> and you do it every week we're
0: ha- halfway there these <laughs> <laughs> the money start rolling, okay.
1: although you know even just you you know creating these opportunities to um uh, allow others to even now even hire you with with different ways of of talking around race or where we are in this time i think you know you are pursuing those things that i think you were initially fearful of um and you know it it is a pursuit of just trusting and having faith that the thing that you're burning with is the thing that you are to do right and I don't mean that, again, in this very, you know, esoteric way. I mean, what is burning? And go, go figure it out. But I digress. I don't want to get off of what, what I think we're trying to do with this podcast today, which is to say, you know, what is new? What can be new? Where are you going to form new ways of living so that you're not missing your life now? So you're not waiting for things to return and you're missing every day of mm. where mm. you are in isolation or quarantine or whatever and saying, I'm going to wait till this is over so then I can start to live. And then before you know it, you've missed an entire summer or year or two years. I don't know. But how do you live your life currently and appreciate and um, appreciate the moments that you have and create something out of those moments? You know... Um, Every year, vacations are a super big deal to me. I Summer comes, I save my money, and I try to figure out what to do. It usually involves an ocean or a beach. Lots of times, my family in Texas, which Texas is like completely off of, you know, it's in the hot zone around coronavirus. And this year... Did something completely outside of my wheelhouse not completely I've been camping a couple times but it's not you know there are those people that are campers right they have the gear they got the backpacks they they do the thing that's not me although I love it I like roughing it it's it's something I've learned to do as I've gotten older Um, but this year that's what happened camping it was um, this outside-of-the-box vacation um, I didn't quite really know what I was doing as I was planning it. I was just kind of shooting at the hip. But every time I would think of something uh, around going camping, I kept reminding myself, it's just new. It's just new. You're, you will step into something that you're not quite sure how to navigate, but that's okay mm. because this is the opportunity to do something and break out of the ways of which you've always done it and to enter into something that you're not familiar with and you are going to experience adventure in a way That you wouldn't have before and it started framing it for me in this internal way of this is kind of you know it can be exciting you know i could have gone to the loss like what's it like to go i live in philadelphia so you go to the shore what's it like to have i saved more money than i usually ever have for vacation and was planning on something really wonderful what was it like to go to europe which like i said nobody's taking any of us now um and corona won't let us go but here's this other thing, and I said to myself, here's here's an opportunity that, that I get to have of doing something because of this pandemic, not romanticizing it because the pandemic sucks, but because of the pandemic, I'm doing something that I wouldn't have typically done, and I'm going to learn from this. So I'm going to figure it out, and it could be something really cool. So. and just to kind of throw that out there i'm not to say that i haven't had really hard moments through this too i i don't want to paint this picture as um i've got this all figured out i don't but there are moments where i think i have been able to grasp what it means to consider something that i might not have considered had this not fallen here at this time in this place right
0: i hear that um you know your emphasis on newness um your emphasis on newness. When I think about so, you know, there, there, there's a contingency of neuroscientists who, who, you know, after having modeled the way neurons and the way your entire neural uh, net looks, that they make a strong argument for, um, you know, that there is no free will, and that given a particular stimulus, your brain will choose the same decisions every single time, uh, and. I don't know. Uh, you know, we, we cling to our idea of free will enough that I, I don't really want to hash that out. It's You know, in the past, it seems like it's uh, it's very hard to disabuse people of the sense that they they get absolute choices. Uh, but one of the things that is possible is to put ourselves in environments that we can't predict. So to not just mm-hmm. do something that is fun, but what does it mean to be you can choose, even if you can't choose all the decisions that your brain is going to make, you can choose contexts uh, that you've never chosen before and that you don't know how that context will play out. Mm -hmm. And then your brain will absolutely, you know, it'll be forced to make decisions that it's never made before. Mm -hmm. And and everything, all the growth that comes from being in a new context that you didn't understand and you couldn't predict, all of that growth you get to bring back to your old context. And in that way, I think just choosing something different, choosing something that you have never done before is in and of itself valuable.
1: Yeah, I, um, I'm i all for it. Um, and to be honest, I didn't learn this until I was older. Um, it's hard to consider what it's like to put yourself in those situations that require the new context to do something different. As you say... You know, what we are geared towards is those things that remain predictable, that we know what to do. Yeah. And I know some people that won't ever move from prediction um, and are really suffering through this pandemic, to be honest. Um, but I think that this is as a conscious choice to really consider this very, this little kernel of truth, this little nugget of wisdom to say, if I put myself in a place that I've not really experienced, or I choose something that is out of the realm of what I would typically choose. What do I get from that, and how will I grow from that? And let me choose that. And that's a very, um, it's a its a very intentional choice. Yeah. Little story around that, uh, and I, I won't draw on this for, for long, but um, so, on this camera room there's this this tunnel, this tunnel that went into a river. So there's a creek bed, a tunnel, and outside of that, which you can't see, but out, out it dipped it dipped into or it um, loaded into this little clearing that was this little swimming hole. That was like the water was like beautifully, it felt so fresh to me. You could see the feet, your feet from the top. And um, it was it was so cool, you know. And this was last week, so it was like 100 million degrees. I was sweating. And um, I got into this little clearing. But then what I noted as I got further was that... Um, but beyond that was a rocky beach that opened up into the Delaware River. And my eye, as far as I could see, was the river on each side. And to me, it was spectacular. I, I love water, so I I, I will... Uh, you know kind of clarify that I do love water but my 14 year old refused to go and I even sent her a video asking her to come um, and she refused because she didn't want to walk through that tunnel what I knew in my grown-up head was um, this experience she has no clue what this experience is she could hate it that's true she could do this and, and hate it but she's not trying so she doesn't know and she won't have the opportunity to understand something new which is what i i yearned for um i couldn't you know she's 14 what am i gonna i can't force her out there and and you know it's still i have to get through it because it still plagues me to think i wish she could have done it because i i was imagining what she could have experienced even on her body the cool temperature whatever um that being one of these things that i think for me was so Crystal clear around what it means for, you know, so this 14 year old, you know, she's so young. They're mostly going to go towards what they know, those 14 year old creatures. Um, But as an adult, how it took me time, really a lot of time, to understand if I push myself into something that is unfamiliar, sometimes I'll hate it, sometimes I'll love it, sometimes it'll be neutral, but it still has an experience for me of doing something that I didn't do before. Which, in and of itself, doesn't sound like that should have value. You have to, It's not about the experience. But
0: it's a type of growth.
1: That's right. That's, and that's kind of what you are saying. That's my point around it is a type of growth. It's giving my brain something to um, consider and navigate in a way that it didn't have to consider and navigate before. And it is a type of growth. And it is a facing of something that is mysterious. And I have to figure something new out i know you've talked oftentimes about you know particular young people that you know you mentioned if they could just even go to another country get dumped into a place where they don't know the language right so that they have to use their brain in a particular way to really just survive rather than to have all of the creature comforts at their fingertips yeah it's a little tiny glimpse of that i think
0: yeah, you know, so I have a whole theory around this, and I think I'll talk about it just because you, you brought it up. Um, it's, you know, when... Our, our brain is constantly trying to make really efficient uses of uh, the bits of, of information, the bits of data that are coming in. Uh, and so, for example, you... Although you might pass, let's say, 15 cars on the way to the supermarket... Once you get to the supermarket, your ability to uh, recall which 15 cars that you saw would be next to zero. Now, your your brain saw them, it registered them, but it also wanted to use that information efficiently and disregarded it almost immediately. And we're we're constantly disregarding all of this visual information, auditory information, um, you know, olfactory. Like our, our brain is constantly just disregarding the information. It processes it and says, I don't need this, mm-hmm. what, what do I need? Mm-hmm. And so the man walking toward you, you might consider him. Uh, the woman who catches your eye, you might consider her. If there's a baby walking across the street by itself. Uh, it's going to be a story. You're going to tell somebody. Like You are going to notice that. Uh, but most of the information, especially if we are on a route that we know very well, will disregard that information. Mm-hmm. The thing is, when you're in a country that, or, or just an environment that's so new that you don't know the landscape, right. Your brain has to process that data differently, right? Mm-hmm. You have to take the landscape in, in and of itself, because it's not familiar. And the more things, as long as you don't feel unsafe, right? There's a line between right. feeling chaotic and feeling completely overwhelmed by an environment that you barely understand, but is not yet chaotic, right? It doesn't meet chaos. Uh, but but being overwhelmed or being just flooded with new information, visual information, auditory information, all the all the the five senses. And then also having to learn or to operate in a language that is second than, than or different than your native tongue requires so much operation from your brain that the, the amount of data that it crunches in one day is might be comparable, right? That it crunches and keeps in one day might be comparable to something like a week in your, in your native environment. Right. Uh, because there's, there's all this sensation, all this information. And so, you know, when you're abroad, uh, often like two weeks <laughs> feel like a month or, mm-hmm. or maybe even two months mm-hmm. and I think that the reason for that is because of the amount of information that gets processed in a short amount of time uh, the, 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 the magic to that is I think if you spend a significant amount of time let's say three to six months in, and nearly everyone I know who has spent time abroad uh, for a significant amount of time feels this way but if you learn another language and you're there for three to six months it feels like another lifetime it feels like you get to live a second life and i think we can exploit that I, I think we can exploit that just in terms of what we bring to our life experiences and just like the memories that we have you form such strong memories i think uh being able to exploit that especially as a young person i would recommend that to anyone to everyone if you know you're fortunate enough. If you have enough privilege to go somewhere and just be somewhere for three to six months speaking and learning another language, the experiences that you bring back will be like an additional whole other life that you get to, and that's invaluable.
1: I remember the first time you told me that, you know, I don't think you explained it quite as thoroughly as that. It was more like this concept, like, oh, they should go learn another language, that would really change their lives, if they could go to another country and change their lives change in life and uh, it took me some time to internalize just probably through my own sense of empathy of what that would be like and what I noted often when I thought about what it would feel like I've traveled a little bit I went to Indonesia for three weeks and I remember coming back and it was a similar thing where I just felt like I'd been gone for years and I wanted to kiss the ground. Um, Not because there was anything wrong with Indonesia, it was beautiful, but I just wanted something familiar. And it was that I didn't want to have the burden of process over and over and over again. I just wanted to be, I wanted it to be easy. So I think having experienced that, but then taking in what you were saying, I had considered what it would be like to really be so engaged with every minute of daily life, um, that you are really, (laughs) this is what I think is the magic of that. You're so connected to the presence of self. Oh, absolutely. Um, you are engaged with you. Um, you're constantly coming back to where am I? What am I doing? What is this like? (laughs) What am I saying? and just you know i think kind of uh, springboarding off of that bringing that language and living abroad thing into this conversation was this kind of unfamiliar experience of what it was like for me on this camry trip and i had to walk through this tunnel that was a little ski it was a little skeevy it was it was you know you stayed on the right side it was dark it certainly opened up at the end all bright and beautiful but i remember even as I got out of the tunnel, what I was saying to myself is, just concentrate. Think about where you feet. I have river shoes on. There were rocks. It was fine. But I was so aware of every move and every step I was taking, mm. where my hand was, where my foot was, what I was seeing, what was below me. I, did, I wasn't looking out. I wasn't looking at everybody and paying attention. I didn't have a phone in my hand. I wasn't trying to understand what 20 minutes away from me was going to be. I was absolutely hundred percent engaged to every second, every step, every moment. And when I got dumped into this beautiful, cool spring, I was I was aware of that. I was like, Oh, there you go. Like here I am. What I did was I concentrated in the moment. I'm getting something really beautiful out of it. It wasn't amazing to have to like cling to the right side of the tunnel and walk through. I think it was fine. But that's what I'm talking about. These idea of the idea around what it's like to get out of the comfort what you're used to do something uncomfortable you will be so engaged in yourself mm, the and the time in the moment that you are doing something that is completely um immersing you in the presence of where you are and where your life is today in this minute
0: yeah i like that i think it's the perfect metaphor for, for really for life if you're doing life the right way right you're 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 taking some hard uh, journeys and going through and you know, every hard journey that you go through will be, you will be aware of every moment, you will be aware of every step uh, sometimes you'll be like, oh, I can't wait for this to end um, but if you're present to it and then you do get on the other side um, it'll feel like you came through something and you yeah. did come through something and yeah. what, you know, especially if you're present what comes on the other side will be an expanded version of you Right. you, you will realize uh, that you made it right, um, and that you can make it you know that, so I like that as a metaphor, and as well as a as a real life event. Um, you know what I've been doing to challenge myself uh, during this. So I've you know I've been trying to read a lot, and you know I get distracted very easily, ADD, all this other kind of stuff. Um, but you know the thing that upsets me, the thing that makes me the most uncomfortable, is let's say my understanding of economics. I'm you know, I've taken probably three economics classes in my life, uh, and it, it's very connected to to the politics that, you know, I'm interested in, but I just don't have a good understanding. And, you know, when I look around at the other people who are in my wheelhouse, who are also kind of critical thinkers around politics and culture, they don't have a good understanding of, of the economics either. Uh, really, only the economists and the finance people that I know are the people who, who can do it well. Um, and I wondered, what would it be like for me to read 10, 10 econ books? Uh, you know, I'm really interested in, in Joseph Stiglitz, who looks at inequality. There's another uh, guy named Paul Krugman who looks at inequality. But so far, what I've done um, is has so expanded my ability to see the connections between you know people say like the one percent but that and policy and the way that we do government and and really the the, the everyday lives that american middle class poor americans upper middle class the way that let's say everyone outside of the top 10 percent mm-hmm. of, of earners uh in the country uh you know barring the top 10 percent. The ability to see what the, the rest of the 90% of, of the American economy is doing and how they're living in their relationship to, you know, to, let's say, economics has been, I mean, it's been mind blowing for me. Uh, I hate every moment of it. <laughs> like, I hate reading uh, econ stuff. Um, but, you know, for every, I don't know, for every, you know, there, there's an insight that comes every now and then that so expands my world that it feels <laughs> worth it. So, I hate the doing of it, right. uh, but so far it, it's been worth it. But that's been how I've been trying to mitigate that my my use of time and and focus and trying to have some clarity in the middle of this uh, this pandemic.
1: Yeah, yeah, we gotta, you know, I know we we preach this message. Probably woven into most of what we talk about, but we you've got to allow for the discomfort. Changes you, and it's not discomfort for discomfort's sake. It's not the the romanticization of pain. It is that which we will um, stay away from so that we can do something that is predictable um, so that we don't have to try the hard thing that keeps us stuck. Right. Um, it is oftentimes taking the risks like walking through the tunnel or doing the reading that you don't want to do or figuring out what direction to go in even when it feels like you don't know where to put your foot. Um, and this pandemic is begging for it. Um, yeah, I don't know how we are. How are we on time? Well,
0: we're good, but uh, you know, uh, I mean, we, we have some time left. Uh, but actually what I wanted to ask you, and maybe you can wrap it up with this, is you know, for, for all the people that you get to listen to and, you know, your own experiences, uh, how, you know, for our listeners, for the sake of our listeners, I should say, what are some of the things they can do or what are some of the better strategies that they can pursue to actually, not just mitigate, um, but to come, you know, to use your language, to come into something new or to do something new, uh, what are some of the things they can do?
1: Um... <clears throat> You know the first thing I, I would say is don't, and I'll explain myself, but don't don't sink. Um, we're at a particular part of this pandemic where that is what I'm watching. Some people are prone to sinking, um, and by that I mean they. You know if you if I can give you an image, right? So you're treading water. <laughs> Um, I, I took water safety instructing classes when I was younger and I was a lifeguard and we'd have to like tread water for, I think like 30 minutes. Um, and it was really, really grueling. Um, and you know, if you've treaded water, if you've been treading water that long, by the time you get to 30 minutes, you really just want to give up. Your arms are tired. But what happens if you give up is you sink. I mean, quite literally you sink. Um, and I kind of see that as the imagery of where we are. We've been treading. We're staying, our nose is above water. If we stop treading, we're going to sink. And so I would say to people right now, keep treading, you know, and not just tread to keep your nose above water, although that's fine some days too. But at this point now, it's starting to ask yourself how to be intentionally new about each day that you're living and I'm not saying this as a big exercise take on something you know take on you know crocheting or horseback ride, whatever I'm saying just start to pay attention because I think people are starting to to gravitate towards um, when and sinking into this idea that they are just holding they're just in a holding part really. pattern waiting for something I think at this point, it's to examine your life and say, how do I live my life in a pandemic with restrictions, with everything that's in place? How do I do the best that I can? Not just the best that I can, but how do I maximize this time and love the people I'm around and be present to myself in my life? Um, So that would be the first thing. Um, And the other thing is to push yourselves, Think outside of your mental box. Um, Try to understand what you are leaning on in terms of predictability. And do something else right um read a different kind of book um think through what what your vacation will be that is not going to be the same that it used to be and you know or what walk you're going to take are you going to take the same path you always take i mean these are little examples but i'm using them as ways for you to consider your brain can start to do something a little bit different in just these very small ways even your partnership, like, how are you going to do this? Like you've been, you know, with this person kind of, you know, trying to navigate this, perhaps without a lot of social complexity, what do you do in that partnership that looks new now? Like, how do you figure this out? Um, and that's up to each person. I, I don't have specific things, right. but I do think it is a very intentional way of starting to think through our, our, our lives now, currently in this pandemic.
0: So if I kind of, you know, my, my, I just want to make sure I understand. uh, But it seems like the thing that's at the core of what you're saying is instead of, instead of waiting for the old thing to swing back around, instead of waiting for things to go back to quote unquote normal, instead of being, I think you use the language, being in a holding, a holding pattern Mm -hmm. is that we embrace the novelty. We embrace the, uh, the new inputs, we find a way to have those new inputs create different outputs in our lives. Yeah, that's, right. You know, that's I, exactly right. I like that.
1: Yeah, and speaking of of something new, you and I had been talking about. Um, just going to put it out here for folks that might be interested of starting um, a book club, um, and it's a good time to do it. We're kind of wrapping up the summer. Um, there's a book by eddie Glaude, what is what is the what's the name of the oh book?
0: eddie glob's books uh, democracy in black
1: democracy in black so we are considering getting this going um, uh, the hope was that you would lead this kind of talk right uh, we don't have all of the um, the details nailed down but we'd love to hear your interest so if you are interested in doing something it would be over you know a zoom platform um, we're not going to have, it's not going to be too crazy, maybe once every week or once every two weeks, we can kind of form understanding ideas of how we want to do it. But we thought that we would um, kind of form a, a, a group and see if we can start to talk through this a little bit with you at the helm. Um, and if you are interested, reach out um, through email.
0: Through yeah, certainly. Uh, Instagram. Yeah. Post at Heterodox Americana or through Instagram or those are probably the safest. Twitter, who knows what's gonna happen, and the same is true with Facebook. Um, yeah, that way listen. I mean, you know, while while we're plugging stuff, uh, it occurred to me and this is something else I'd like to plug uh, around Heterodox Americana that um, you know I'm reading Jim Jim Collins' book now. It's uh, it's good to greet. Years ago, uh, a mentor of mine told me I should read it, and I wasn't ready yet, like I just wasn't there in my life. Uh, and then I heard Jim Collins talking on a podcast, <laughs> I was like, this guy's brilliant. Uh, and I'm really enjoying Good to Great now. Um, and it's, it's I, I, I recommend it. Um, e- even, even if you're not in business, uh, even if you're not in corporate America, I think some of the principles that he outlines about what it means to do something well, and to double down on the thing that you do well and you kind of do that in a systematic way um, and have it not be about your ego, uh, that to me is like, it's been invaluable so far. And I'm about, like I don't know, like a, about a fifth of the way through the book. Yeah. At any rate, it occurred to me that be- between the idea of lean, like lean startup, and between the idea of, of building a flywheel like Jim Collins talks about in Good to Great, uh, that I would love, actually, for Heterodox Americana to to, to act as a platform to facilitate conversations mm-hmm. uh, across all types of lines, not just across the political aisle or, you know, racial or socioeconomic, but, like, what does it mean to have dialogue and to be able to talk to people who just occupy a different position than the one that you occupy? Um, and, you know, so I, I, I'm I soliciting like people who have, let's say, you know, the first part I think is, is, is like a lean startup model. But, you know, if, if there's any time to volunteer or if you have some understanding of Eric Reese's uh, idea of what it means to do a lean startup, I would love to, to try to get Heterodox Americana into a lean platform uh, and, and to, to be able to, you know, I mean, there's only so much I can do myself. So really I'm saying, I, you know, I got two hands and like way more projects than hands. So if there's anybody who thinks that they might uh, be able to help in a, in a lean startup kind of way mm-hmm. um, to help heterodox, you know, expand as a platform. And really what I want to do is bridge those conversations or have those conversations and bridge those positions so that even if people don't, uh, you know, agree with each other, at least they understand each other enough yeah. that we could have enough civility, we could have enough, you know, common ground to, to really start building, I think, um, you know, the nation, the country that we all deserve. So.
1: Yeah. And I think that's important. I think this is why we started this podcast like pretty much a year ago is to get people, um, to listen to each other. And I think we've had so much explosion, um, certainly just over the past month or so of what this looks like now. Um, and, you know, if I may plug you, I think you're a really good person to facilitate these kind of discussions to help people um, think through across many lines. So book club, if you're interested, don't be shy. Reach out. Um, we're we're ready to figure this out with you. Um, and then this Lean Startup, just, just contact us. Yeah. We're, we're, we're open and, and we're willing to. We want this to be something that we're all trying to do together.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So, you know, I I guess thanks uh, for for sticking in there with us and uh, for tuning in. And uh, we'll sign off and talk to you next week. Yeah,
1: looking for something new. Take good care.